Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt, and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you, and on with the show. Recently, I read the book Ready Player One, a science fiction novel by Ernest Cline. It's as close as I've ever come to anything resembling multiplayer video games, and it's a fantasy set in the future. But apparently, this type of thing, in a much less dystopian fashion, is a thing, particularly with children. You can even do it as a professional sport, I think, because I don't know anything at all all about this topic, I've invited Seamus Byrne, managing editor of the website Science Alert. And he's a dad who has just returned from a big esports tournament in Poland. Hi, Seamus. How Hello. are you? Very we good. Ha- we have to start by explaining, an expert explaining, what is esports? Yeah, so I, I probably the simplest description would be that it's, I mean, obviously the E just stands for electronic sports. Uh, and it's really people who've taken playing multiplayer video games or even some single player games, but in a really competitive environment, it's gone from just being something where people would uh, just get that enjoyment out of being able to be better than somebody else right through now to the point where it's become professionalized and there's major tournaments around the world. People play for, for teams, they earn salaries, uh, and it's yeah become this kind of real alternative, I guess, to becoming a a tennis professional or a basketball professional is becoming an esports professional. All right, that does sound dystopian to me. <laughs> <laughs> Am I being melodramatic? Because it seems like, you know, you, you've gone from, um, if you're comparing it to other things that go to professional level, mm. it feels like it's way more sedentary and potentially less social. Yeah, look, I, I think absolutely I can understand why sort of, you know, parents and why people who haven't really seen it can get that kind of a feeling from it. But I think, uh, you know, a really big part of getting to that level, I guess, is people who, you know, they've they've been sort of regular teenagers, they've kind of had their mix of different things, and then they've started to see that they are actually better than everybody else at this one thing. And so then they've started to train harder, they've started putting that time. And, and actually most people that you kind of encounter in this space, and particularly when I talk to team managers and coaches and people like that, is they actually see that, you know, that quite often these sorts of people are incredibly disciplined. They have that ability to really kind of think about training as any other kind of athlete might think about training. You know, they can put in the hours. They aren't just playing, but they're really thinking about, you know, how to get better. They're constantly kind of pushing themselves in a way that, that there, you know, there are a lot of those kind of valuable team sport skills that people might only ever usually attribute to a more physical kind of a sport. All right, let's talk about skills because in the book Ready Player One, the anti-hero, hero, whatever you'd like to classify him as, talks about going into a zone where yeah. it sounds like he's this amazing, I don't know. He's savant, got this, he thinks yes, he's, yeah. he's like a savant. <laughs> and, and I couldn't help when I was reading the book, I'm going, yeah, but who does this benefit? Like, And, and you could say that about any sport, really. Who mm. does it benefit that you you have these this ability to play Donkey Kong Jr. from the 80s, whatever? Yeah. But I'm wondering, um, you just mentioned team sports there and the fact that they have to train. 
Are there actual skills that they're developing apart from the ability to move their thumbs really quickly? <laughs> yeah, look, and, and I, I kind of, I, I do always love that. I think the kind of the classic vision of someone sitting on the couch with a controller that is thumbstick kind of focused. Yeah, it totally kind of, uh, I, again, I completely get that people <laughs> think about that. Um, I think... Actually, it's funny that a lot of these esports are more kind of focused around PC gaming, so that's more keyboard and mouse. Um, and there's a lot of sort of aspects to that that really comes back to, I guess, a classic sense of eye-hand coordination. You know, so um, as much as you know they're kind of sitting still, uh, there's a lot of those aspects of being able to kind of have you know their their hand holding the mouse be sort of completely in tune with what they're seeing on a screen. Um, even kind of very subtle controls that can kind of be a part of that of, uh, you know, some really advanced players will sort of switch the sensitivity of their mouse in real time to kind of be able to focus in on something specific on the screen. Like there's some really kind of amazing tricks there. I, I, probably a really good example is uh, in certain kinds of games, uh, p- players will often be attributed based on sort of how fast they are on the keyboard. And so there's an acronym called APM, which is actions per minute. And so that is actually tracking sort of how fast the person is executing commands through their keyboard and through their mouse. Um, a lot of professional players, when they're being rated on that sort of level, often have an APM of sort of over 150, which means they're, they're kind of doing, you know, two and a half to kind of three things per second uh, in terms of executing these commands. And so I, I kind of feel like it's almost a bridge between, you know, you think about chess as kind of a sport, but an, an entirely sort of mental sport. This is something that is a little bit closer to something physical because they are having to really rapidly sort of put these kinds of commands in to make sure that they're doing things in real time. And and I think compared to, say, you know, there's a lot of video games out there where you're not necessarily going up against somebody else in real time, or certainly there's lots of where you're not sort of worried about how well you're sort of doing it. You're just having fun. And I think in this kind of category, you're talking about people who know that, you know, in that real moment, they're sort of going up against someone who, who also knows how to move incredibly quickly. So that sort of strategic kind of thinking attachment to it, uh, I think, is a big part of it. But on that, that broader question of just how, uh, you know, who does it benefit and those kinds of things, there's definitely a lot of sort of um, research at this kind of level that shows, particularly when it's a team game. So there's quite a few of these top-level games that are often like five players on a team or six players on a team. There are actually kind of really big you know, leadership aspects to that and teamwork aspects to that where everybody's got their headsets on. Yeah, they might all be in their own houses. At the professional level, they're, you know, they're working in offices and things these days. But, but even if it's just at home, that's sort of people working out, how do I communicate in real time to make sure that we're not sort of missing things that are happening? Uh, and, and then there will be certain people that essentially start to become leaders within that and they sort of get given that job of, of really directing the team, making sure the team's doing exactly what they need to do when they do it. Uh, and so I think even if, you know, for, for people who never become professionals, I think, and this for me is sort of a big aspect of the whole kind of esports issue right now is is it's become professionalized, but we're not seeing that filter down to kind of a grassroots level yet. And that's where I think pe- you know, parents in particular might start to go from just letting their kid play this stuff you know, and sitting there and, and they're playing with people that they don't know. They're just randomly matching up with people on the internet. It's hard to actually get those kinds of developments in terms of those teamwork and cooperation type skills if you don't know the people that you're playing with. But if this can start to become something where within a school community, within a local community, we start seeing kind of little local teams happening, then it becomes that thing of you're learning about, you know, having teammates that rely on you, having all those kind of aspects of, of classical kind of team sports uh, attributes. 
I love it. You're so passionate about it. I can tell. I can tell. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Seamus Byrne. He is the managing editor of the website Science Alert. And I'm sure that Seamus was into his esports beforehand, but I think a recent visit to Poland with a mass, a very big esports tournament was happening may have spiked a little bit more passion. I'm not sure. I'm just <laughs> guessing. Um one of the things you were talking there is about um, children and getting children involved in esports in a kind of more organised way. Um, how does it start for kids? Is this when you give them a, a PlayStation? I know, for example, there'd be lots of parents who are reluctant to give a video game to their kids, mm. mainly because they're scared they'll never get them off them again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is that the start? And, and do you think parents are a bit too cautious of computer games? It's funny, actually. One of the biggest things I found when I do just talk to parents sort of in the playground and things is is quite often a, a reluctant parent, if I actually just put the question to them of, so have you actually sat down and played something with them? Well, then the answer is no. Like, I think you kind of have to participate on some level. You know, it doesn't mean you have to learn how to play all this stuff if you feel like it's way over your head, but but to actually sort of engage with their entertainment medium. You know, I feel like, uh, I think a big part of why I've, I've started to just recently feel like this is an important discussion for parents is that it seems like that esports is going to be, by, you know, by later this century, I feel like this will kind of be the dominant entertainment form when it comes to sports because it's just becoming so huge within that youth market. Sounds so dystopian. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel like uh, there's a lot of parents who feel disconnected from this sort of digital domain, um, particularly when it comes to games. Uh, so I feel like there's kind of lots of areas of this that people could sort of see that rather than being a thing that you kind of almost like the old days of TV. In some respects, some parents think, well, a game is this thing they go and do for a couple of hours and it means I don't have to think about them. And, you know, it's like the babysitting kind of phenomenon. But I think by starting to watch it a little bit more, you can even start to kind of talk to your kids about what skills did they feel like they're earning from it, you know. And even if they haven't thought about it much at that point, it can start to make them think about, you know, what is it that, you know, how hard have you had to work to get this good at a game? You know, there's all those kinds of aspects that can start to help them to see that there's, benefits that live outside of that kind of digital space and that and that even if it's just having the conversation about it helping them start to kind of think about it in that way can can change that relationship a lot what about the safety aspect of it you hear a lot about those games that do involve more than one player and and mm. potential predators getting online i always assumed that those games were for older children anyway yeah. is that the case or and how how are we going on safety measures in that respect yeah i think there's definitely a lot of different um, like there's big differences in games right i think i think within once you start focusing on the games that are sort of about esports, there's there's definitely some issues when it comes to kind of, you know, it just gets referred to as the toxic kind of side of these cultures. Um, in a lot of the different games, you can kind of just switch off or ignore the chat sort of channels. So, you know, a big part of it is definitely you don't have to use headsets and hear people talking. Uh, and I think when kids are younger, that's an important part of it. Um, you know, my kids are 11 and 9, and they're just starting to sort of play. Obviously, you know, my older child's been playing a little bit longer. But with them, when they're dabbling in this sort of stuff, they're either 
Yeah, I mean, at first they're often just playing against the computer. So they're just sort of learning how to play these sorts of games without going online to actually play against real people. But then when they are starting to play against real people, we kind of have discussions about, you know, well, we're not getting involved with chat yet, you know, so no headsets uh, or, you know, ignore the kind of comments that are in the bottom of the screen or, you know, if you can minimize them, then we'll often do that. So that they, again, starting to get those kinds of those experiences, but not starting to get involved with those kinds of online discussions. And then there are big differences in certain kinds of games. There's probably a really good example of uh, there's like a digital card game that is an eSport uh, called Hearthstone. And with that game, there's actually no chat at all. Uh, within that sort of system, you can you can click and kind of send one of like six generic messages to somebody to kind of say, you know, well played or sorry or these kinds of just simple comments. Uh, but it means that you actually have zero problem with those sorts of messages going back and forth because it's physically impossible for someone to send you those kinds of messages. So some games have set themselves up really well in that regard. Okay, so I am a bit of a nana when it comes to this stuff and I can just even hear my grandmother in my own ears going, well, what's the future of this, Seamus? When it comes to uh, children who might want to get involved and, as you said, in your prediction, only maybe our kids won't be (laughs) alive at the end of the century, but, you know, um, would you say to parents that actually allow your child to explore this area but get involved as well and it sounds like you're saying that we as adults need to be looking at the community that we create for our children mm. within that ra- that realm I mean would you say go out and try it yeah look I, I think I'd say you know it's probably a pretty standard recommendation to say for kids that are you know like under 10 or 11 sort of thing it's like make sure they're trying a bit of everything you know so you know if they're showing an interest in this then that doesn't mean you can let them quit weekend soccer and you know all that kind of it's like make sure they're doing a little bit of everything because I think so often we don't know until we've tried something if, if it excites us or not. And um, uh, But we already see that a lot of sort of younger kids, are, you know, they often watch other people playing games on YouTube, you know, lots of Minecraft videos, all those sorts of things uh, is a big thing that parents are, are pretty comfortable with at this point. Um, but I think a big thing that's starting to emerge this year in esports is is the fact that there's actually teams that, like there's there's leagues and teams that are starting to form where they're, they're becoming a lot like traditional sports leagues and that there will be, you know, Sydney teams and Melbourne teams and, and it starts to get that sort of city connection so that so that people will start to think, oh, I don't know much about the sport, but I hear there's a team from our town, so let's, let's tune in and, and give it a look. And that can often, you know, I think that's going to become that first kind of point of entry for a lot of different sort of people with these sorts of games. Uh, but then I think, yeah, after that point, if they're showing an interest, then yeah, sort of let them start to dabble. Like I sort of said before, I think most of these games, you can just play against the computer itself at first, so you don't have to just dive in the deep end and play against real people. Uh, and you can definitely sort of start to sort of, you know, get the ball rolling there. And, and then just, again, just get those taste tests going before then... I feel like it's in those teenage years where where people can start to see what are the things they feel like they're really good at, uh, you know, versus other things that they're not so good at. And and for people who I think so far it seems like a lot of people who've been good at video games, uh, that's still been that thing that's considered a sideline. That you know, it well that's not going to do anything for you. Whereas it feels like that's starting to emerge as as something that is different so that in the same way that kids who are good at soccer might kind of win a trophy for being good at soccer, well, we might start to have that opportunity for kids who are good at games to kind of go, oh, look, it's valued as a thing that I actually achieved. Sounds like in the old days when people said, you're writing, it'll never amount to anything. (laughs) Oh, the times are changing. Seamus, thank you so much for coming in. You're very welcome. That's Seamus Byrne. He's the managing editor of website Science Alert.